the most important thing that we can do on Good Friday night together is to make sure that we do not miss the steep, steep price that was paid for the forgiveness of our sins. The more clearly that our minds can grasp what Jesus was willing to endure for us, the more passionate and real and deep and right our worship for Jesus will be. And so it is good for us to be here and to pause just for a moment together as a family and to take some time to reflect on the sufferings of Christ. Tonight I want to do that by zeroing in with you on Jesus' willingness to endure unthinkable injustice for us. Injustice for us. In Isaiah's beautiful but brutal vision of the suffering servant, after beginning to unpack how Jesus would suffer a violent death in our place and for our sins, he says these words, in his humiliation, justice was denied him. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. I think most of us get the humiliation part of the death of Jesus Christ. Just think of this. The king of all the kings, the son of God, the one by whom all things were created and all things are upheld, was brought low for us. Jesus was mocked by punk soldiers and by passing crowds. Jesus was beaten and whipped like an animal. Jesus was paraded through the streets. Jesus was stripped naked and nailed to a Roman cross between two vile criminals on a busy street corner in the middle of the day. Everyone was there to stand and to stare and to shake their heads at this man. And they were there to hear Jesus scream and watch Jesus sweat and watch Jesus lose control of his bladder and watch Jesus heave for breath and eventually to watch Jesus die. So Isaiah saw this coming and he was he was right, this might be an understatement. It was an awful humiliation that Jesus endured for his people. But what does Isaiah mean when he says, justice was denied him? That the death of Jesus Christ would not only be a humiliation, but it would be an injustice. That in love for you, Jesus was willing to not only endure a brutal and painful death, but a brutal and painful injustice. Okay, my aim is that you would now feel the awfulness of these words of Scripture. In the last 24 hours of Jesus' life, the two lost systems of the old world 
the law of the Jews and the law of the Romans were faced with the same exact problem. What do we do with Jesus of Nazareth who is called the Christ? And both of them wrenched justice out of its socket in order to put him to death. This began with the Jewish Sanhedrin. I don't know if you've heard that word before. That's the word for the council of men who governed the people of Israel, the Jews. They were supposed to be holy men, good fathers of the people who would see to it that justice was done. But out of envy, they opposed Jesus at every turn, and eventually they were willing to stand the law of God on its head to put him to death. For most of his ministry, they could not get their hands on Jesus even though they wanted to because he spent his time in the north in Galilee and their authority was zeroed in around Jerusalem in the south. It wasn't until Jesus came to Jerusalem that he would become under their authority. This is why Jesus avoided Jerusalem for most of his ministry until he was ready to die. Then what did he do? He set his face south toward Jerusalem. And on Palm Sunday, he enters the city for the last time, and they were finally ready to arrest him. Thanks to the betrayal of Judas, one of his supposed friends, in the middle of the night, with no crowds around to stop them, they snuck in, and Jesus was taken into custody. And what are you hoping for? at this point in the story. You are hoping for a fair trial. That's all you're asking for, is a fair trial. Give me a fair trial, and Jesus will be vindicated and free. But that's not what you get. Instead, you get justice was denied him by the Sanhedrin. Would you think about this with me? Under Jewish law, Were you allowed to be privately interrogated before your trial? Of course not. But what happened with Jesus? Annas takes him aside and badgers him and examines him before his trial even begins. Under Jewish law, could the Sanhedrin commence with any trial at all if they were not in full session? Of course not. You schedule the trial, you wait until everyone is there. But what happened with Jesus? They pulled together in the middle of the night anyone who was available to get this thing done. Under Jewish law, were you allowed to arrest a man at night and just hours after his arrest put him on trial in the darkness? Of course not. You need to wait until the day to try someone. But what do they do? All night, he is sleepless. He is peppered. He is assaulted with accusations. By the dawn, he is ready to be condemned. Under Jewish law, what were they supposed to do? As soon as it became apparent that all of the prosecution's witnesses were contradicting one another, what are they supposed to do immediately? 
variances between the evidence of the witnesses would destroy its value, this trial is over. But what happened with Jesus? Witness after witness came forward with false and confused and contradictory statements, and yet the trial goes on. Under Jewish law, could you condemn someone on their own confession? Of course not. They call this the confession of the accursed, and by itself it was never grounds for a conviction. But what happened with Jesus? You have heard it from his own mouth. What need do we have for further witnesses? Under Jewish law, were you allowed to sentence someone and condemn them on the spot? Of course not. This never happened. There was a mandatory 12-hour enjoyment before a sentence of condemnation could be issued. But what happened with Jesus? Instant guilty verdict and pronouncement of a death sentence. Does everyone feel this? Justice was denied this man by the Sanhedrin. I need you to hold that feeling because it gets worse. The Sanhedrin could pronounce a death sentence, but they could not carry it out without the permission of the Roman governors. And so what do they do? They rush over to Pilate's house and they bang on his door before he has had his morning Duncan and they say, get up, Pilate. We've found a man. And then they change the charge from blasphemy to treason. A man named Jesus who is committing magistas, they called it treason. He is an enemy of Caesar and threat to the peace of the empire. As groggy as Pilate is, as soon as he hears the words treason, he knows he must deal with this. And so he calls for Jesus to appear before him. What are you hoping for now? A fair trial. Just give me a fair trial. Rome is known for its commitment to law and order. Pilate has no dog in this Jewish fight. This judge will do the right thing. He's neutral. Jesus will be vindicated and freed. Pilate comes right at Jesus and he says, so are you a king? And what does Jesus say? His answer is what we call a confession and avoidance. He admits the truth of the accusation. Yes, I am a king. But then he adds some new information in John's gospel that would negate its impact. But I am not a king like Caesar. My kingdom is not of this world. And as soon as Pilate hears that, what does he do? He accepts Jesus' plea. He basically says, why are you Jews bothering me with this ridiculousness? Jesus from Nazareth may be a, a wandering Jewish philosopher who's a little crazy in the head religiously and thinks he has a kingdom in the skies, but he is no threat to Caesar. And Pilate announces the sentence of acquittal. I find no guilt in him. Te absolvo in Latin. He is absolved. You are absolved. And you read that in the text. 
and you breathe. Thank you, Pilate. Justice is being served with Jesus. He's innocent, and he is free to go. But then, to Pilate's surprise, there's a sudden outburst from the mob. They don't like those words or that verdict or acquittal. And this becomes a major problem for Pilate. If his Jewish constituents are not happy, especially during Passover, when they're all in the city and there could be political unrest that would cause him to lose his position, this is not good. And you immediately begin to hear the gears running in reverse in Pilate's brain, and he tries to backtrack. He hears that Jesus is from Galilee, and so he sends him over to Herod because the north is his jurisdiction. And right away, your heart drops. Oh, no. Pilate, what are you doing? You have already acquitted this Jesus. You can't try someone twice for the same crime. Everyone knows that. That's not justice. Jesus goes to Herod. He won't deal with him. Jesus comes back to Pilate, and now the pressure mounts. The mob wants Jesus' head. Pilate just wants peace. He is caught between what is right and what is expedient, what is his duty, and what would be for popularity. He is trapped between justice and injustice. And what does the governor of the Romans do? He reverses his decision. Eventually, he ascends the seat on which he would stand over that pavement and announce his decisions. And the same prisoner who earlier that morning had been acquitted by him gets brought out again under the same charges. Only this time, a new verdict is announced. Guilty. Condemned. Guards, get ready the cross. Does everybody in here feel this? Justice was denied him before Pilate. And Jesus of Nazareth, totally innocent, holy, and righteous, is crucified. This is what Isaiah saw coming when he said, in his humiliation, justice was denied him. Okay, let's drive this home. Think about this with me. How does it feel when you are a victim of just the slightest injustice? How does it feel when you are a victim of just the slightest injustice? I mean just petty stuff. Have you ever had someone swoop into your parking spot at Target and your blinker was on? What goes through your mind right there? You're ready to take that to the Supreme Court, right? And you're on the horn. This is not right. Have you ever been standing in line and somebody is saving a couple of spots for their buddies and then a dozen people step in front of you? What happens right there in your heart and your mind? That happened to me at a buffet once and I was hungry and I was not happy. Right over here at Melrose Middle School, I have seen parents come to blows almost 
over two points being credited to the wrong team on an $11 scorecard at a rec basketball game. Why? Why? What is that about? We are wired to know that injustice is wrong. When we see it or we receive the slightest injustice, our hearts burn. We know how bad this is. It hurts us all over. Now, those are just petty things. Let's talk about some more serious things. Have you ever been given an exam and the teacher or the professor did not tell you that certain content was going to be on that exam and you failed that exam with bad consequences? How did your heart feel about that? Have you ever been trying out for a team and someone who was not as skilled as you makes the team because they're connected and you don't? Have you ever lost a job or a promotion unfairly? Let's get even more intense. Have you ever been accused of something falsely, like a hundred miles away from what you said or felt or your motive was? And all of a sudden, a whole circle of yours assumes the worst about you unjustly. Ultimately, have you ever been punished because of something you did not do? I want you to do this tonight. I want you to take all the injustices, big and small, that you and I and all of us and all of Melrose and all of Massachusetts and all of the world and all of history have ever encountered and endured all of them. And then take all of the grief and all of the pain and all of the frustration and all of the confusion and all of the wrongness of all of them. And then I want you to ramp that up to infinity. That is what this verse is right here. And Jesus was willing to endure all of it out of love for you. Jesus was willing to endure all of that to save you. The perfectly holy Son of God silently endured the worst injustice that has ever taken place so that we might become the sons and the daughters of God. And you are supposed to love Him for it. Okay, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that Jesus would stir affections in us for the sacrifice that was made to save us. That Jesus would stir affections in our hearts for Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who did not cry unjust, unjust, but kept His mouth shut that He would die so that we might live. When I'm done praying, the band's going to come up and sing. You don't have to stand for this first song. I want you to hear the words. I want you to reflect on them. I want you to think on this verse of Scripture and this truth. And then we will come to the table and we will be moved to sing and pray together. Let's do that. Jesus, I thank you that you were willing to suffer the worst injustice in the history of the universe so that Matt Cruz's sins could be forgiven, 
so that I could inherit infinite joy and eternal life for you. I marvel that you were willing to be brought low, and I love you for it. I love you for it. I pray that the truth of the love of God in Christ would sweep through this church and through this city and through this world, that the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world would be loved rightly. And I pray that that would start tonight in this assembly, in this community, with this family. So hear my prayer and answer. Amen.